to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anandapadieh, and thanks for joining us. Anyone reading news about legal technology recently has seen the massive surge in big money deals across the industry. Over the last several months, the industry has seen blockbuster fundraisers and M&A activity despite the pandemic. Just last month, contract management startup Ironclad raised over $100 million. Around the same time, e-discovery company Disco raised roughly the same amount. Weeks ago, Reveal Data raised $200 million, spurring the acquisition of leading AI-backed data analytics platform, Brainspace. In today's episode, we're joined by Wendell Gisa, the CEO of Reveal Data. I asked him about his entrepreneurial journey, exactly how a $200 million mega deal actually happens, and why legal technology is finally attracting these massive investments. Wendell's story and vision in this space is remarkable. His transparency and honesty in explaining his view of the industry, how he's grown his business, and how this massive deal came to life are impressive. As always, if you like our discussion, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Wendell, thanks so much for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It is uh, super exciting to have you on, especially after a week with such blockbuster news. I should say a month with such blockbuster news in January and the large deal that we're going to get into. But first of all, thanks for coming on. No, I really appreciate you having me on and I'm excited to, to tell you a story. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, let's start getting into that story. Who are you? Wendell, and you know, we're going to get to to your company and a lot of the moving and shaking in the in the space. But let's start just by getting uh, your introduction first and foremost. Sure. So I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Reveal, but more importantly, I'm uh, a father and husband to a great wife and three great little kids. That's fantastic. And so um, you've got a very interesting and inspirational story as an entrepreneur. And there's been some writing on it, some I've read uh, online, but I'd love for you to kind of take us through in in, uh, one of the uh, discussions that we had. You mentioned that you started out essentially delivering photocopies. (laughs) And here you are now the CEO of a highly successful company that is doing some pretty impressive things. So talk us through starting out delivering photocopies and, and, you know, get us up to speed on where you are now, and then we'll get into to your company. Yeah, you know, it's funny because that's actually where, it all, where everything starts, right? And, and when I graduated from college, I, I probably interviewed at like 20 different companies. And for some reason, when I was interviewing, like many of us, right, I, I had this anxiety. I was, I was nervous. I was going, and I couldn't get a job anywhere. Finally, my dad, he had a friend who uh, was in the litigation support business. And he got me a job, not even selling photocopies to law firms, but actually delivering them. So I spent the first 18 months of my uh, post-collegiate career uh, on Lower Wacker in Chicago, delivering boxes of copies to law firms around the city of Chicago. Wendell, I'm, I'm uh, imagining your first business card is saying, assistant to the photocopier. <laughs> I didn't even get a business card when I started. It was one worse. But, you know, I joke about it. But honestly, a lot of when you walk into Reveal today, there's a 15-foot sign that says, do your job. 
and and that really comes from those those early days. Uh, anyway, so I, I was delivering photocopies. Then I actually was promoted to selling photocopies to law firms, which was actually a good job at the time. You know, you'd go around with your silver card to the law firms and do the you know talk to talk to people. Go and start at the top of a high rise and go to the bottom and try and try and get meetings. So did that for a while, and then um, had a little bit of a family tragedy. My my dad passed away, and I moved back home with my mom at 23 years old. You know, just kind of wanted to help her and support where I could. And but I refocused my life. I refocused my life both personally and professionally, and I and I really invested in. in this is embarrassing to say, but understanding the litigation process as well as possible, and frankly, being the best salesperson that I could possibly be. Coming out of college, I mean, did you know what litigation was, no. aside from like law and order? And and did you know what litigation support was? Like, was that your career trajectory? Or were you just trying to do the best you could with the opportunities you had in front of you? Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, at that time, I was just trying to figure out how I was going to pay for beers on Friday, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't anything like that. I needed a job. I needed to pay my bills. I got into it. But I will tell you that once I got into it, I loved it. And once I understood what was going on, as minimal as I was to the process, I felt important. And I felt like I was actually providing a service, not just a product. And that's that resonated with me as an individual. Um, I remember when I first started my first week, my dad gave me a, a rearview mirror. And he gave his rearview mirror in the car. He's driving to work. He's proud of his oldest son. And he said to me, he said something like, you'll never forget that people are always coming up behind you and people are always going to want to catch you. Now, he's like, that's something that, you know, you always have to think about when you're in sales. And he didn't know I wasn't a salesperson. He, I was a customer service rep, but that was fine. But I remember it resonated. That resonated with me as well. And it took me a while to understand it. But that went throughout my entire career always feeling as though someone was always coming up behind me and I had to do something to do more, whether it was trying harder or innovating or investing this, that, or the other. I mean, I I am passionate about always being comfortable in my position. Well, and and how far you've come, right? And how far the litigation support e-discovery space has come. I mean, how did you make that move from you know, let's just say being an employee, whether you were delivering photocopies or being a customer service rep to at some point, not too long after, if I've, if I've got your chronology down, yeah, uh, you know, you weren't there for 15, 20 years. I mean, somewhat shortly thereafter, you planted your flag and started your first company. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. On yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I did it at a young age. After I moved home for a while, I moved out to Silicon Valley and I w- went to work for a guy that was building a business specifically only scanning documents. At that time, that was forward thinking. Did that. He sold the company in 18 months. And I basically said to myself, I can do this. I mean, I, I you know, he rode, he rode me along the way, so I can do this. So I moved back to Chicago and opened up a company called Landmark with a, with a business partner. And so the forward thinking stuff that you did in Silicon Valley, yeah, take it that was the early 2000s, right? Yeah. And uh, you said, I don't want to lose this this kind of nostalgic point, but you know, you said scanning documents was kind of um, I forget what word you used, but kind of futuristic, because at that point, no one was scanning and presumably OCR and maybe OCR was even far out there. Yeah. People were, people were 
photocopying and handing boxes off, but no one was scanning and digitizing. No, they weren't, but I, but they, they were also starting to process this data, right? And living in Palo Alto at that time, it, I, you know, you'd see, I remember I'd be sitting at Ruby's on Friday and someone that I, that was a friend of mine would pull up on a bike one week at Porsche the next week, right? Mm-hmm. I was gone by the time they would have to trade in the Porsche for the bike, but it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. And what I learned there was about taking risks. You have around a lot of different entrepreneurs that were incredibly intelligent people who went to Stanford or Berkeley here or there. And these guys were, were leaving jobs at major corporations to work for these small startups. And I was just kind of inspired by it. And I decided that I was going to move back to Chicago. I missed my family. I was going to move back to Chicago and, and do it on my own. And I did it. When you were there uh, in, in Silicon Valley around that time, and you were working kind of, you know, very much in this litigation support space, did you understand like the the scope of this opportunity? Like as a twenty something, were you looking at this going, "Wow, like I want to invest my future and take my risks in this space here, whether whether it was called e-discovery then or just litigation yeah. support or whatever it was." Did you were you that forward thinking, or did you just want to start a company generally in that space because that's what you do? No, I, I think I think that there was a future, right? I mean, I think that recognizing the fact that the legal space in general is sort of slow to move when it, with regard to technology, I was seeing that this this sort of rigid structure, and I look, I didn't know it was going to take fifteen years or twenty years, but I I knew it would happen. And, and I knew that I could do, do do justice for it. I knew that my knowledge and my experience that I had already in, created, in addition to to my risk factor, which was I have nothing to lose, right, was something that would be compelling. You know, and just to sort of before we get to reveal, I started this company called Landmark, and and within seven years I sold it to a private equity firm. My business partner stayed on. I moved on, and we were actually a customer of competitive products. So we, 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 we licensed software products like Reveal. And I think that that's where, when I, when I left there, I did not compete, a five-year non-compete. And I said to myself, well, I can't do that. So why don't I try and do this better? And, 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 and how do we do it better? And that's when I decided to start Reveal. And literally, this is a true story. I was sitting, sitting on my couch trying to figure out what I was going to do in Bucktown, Chicago. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And I, I reached out to a couple of companies that were out there, a company called Docuity and a company called Lateral Data. And I offered them from, you know, from the proceeds from my former uh, sale, I offered to acquire them. Both of them turned me down. I remember specifically, I offered $9 million for each of them on the same day, not hoping that one of them would accept me. One sold for $24 million and one sold for $30 million. So I had champagne taste out of beer budget and um, it didn't work out, but then, but I think that what I decided was let's roll up the sleeves, shut the blinds. I'll do it myself and I'll build this company from scratch. And that's what we did. That's amazing. I, I want to get into that story of your kind of entrepreneur's journey, but I want the, even before we get to there, I want to get a sense for my listeners as to why you thought you know, investing for, you know, the third time, first as an employee, second as a founder at Landmark, third as a repeat founder in Reveal, uh, all in the same 
industry, right? Like what was it about the size and scope of the problem that you were trying to solve in e-discovery made you say, you know what? I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to go do something else. I'm not going to, you know, uh, travel around the world for, for five years or whatever. I, you know, th- there is still a ton of opportunity. What was it about that? And I think it's going to, you know, shed some light on why e-discovery right now is so fast moving and technologically impressive. Yeah, no, I, I, so I'll fast forward about five, six years then, because in 2015, is when it really hit me that all these other industries were 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 turning to were automate they were, they were automating their industries right and and the, the the legal industry was still sort of stuck in the spot where where the traditional attorney felt as though technology artificial intelligence was going to inhibit or shorten their careers rather than help them be more productive and I started to notice that the that the the next generation of attorneys we're embracing the technology that we were developing. The light bulb went off, right? After a couple of conversations with people where it was, hey, we need to double down on this because the legal industry is one of the last industries to turn to, turn to technology. And e-discovery specifically, that niche, the data volumes were growing and growing and growing and growing, and they'll continue to grow. And that data has to be managed. So I, you know, I always say I'm all in on AI, but I'm all in on e-discovery. I believe that, you know, from Reveal's perspective, my goal for our company and our employees is to become, you know, have, have our, our faces put on the Mount Rushmore of the e-discovery technology history. And I think it's, we're there. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to get into, you know, uh, I've, I've got the press release pulled up. I'm going to be reading reading from that and, and the Lot of Calm article. Were you worried that Mount Rushmore was a little crowded? When you started reveal, like at any point, did you say this is a scary one to jump into because there's already too many incumbent names? Yeah, I mean, look, but there's always incumbents, and it goes back to the to the rearview mirror, right? Like if they're not looking for me coming up behind them, then I'm going to pass them. That's really what reveal has done. I mean, we've built a culture on doing our job and, and innovating things and creating things and taking bold risks. One of the things that was interesting. When we re-architected the software to be to be a cloud-based solution, that was a critical point. There was three critical points. One was converting to a SaaS business model. Two was moving to Europe, and three was re-architecting the software. Once we did that, Reveal exploded. There was some there was some 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 lean years from when I started the company to when when we hit 2015, where you know it's, it's for for everyone listening. It's you're worried about making payroll. Right. I mean, I mean, it's everyone goes through those when they start an organization. Frankly, everyone goes through that in their everyday life. But the fact of the matter is, is it was and I get a little I get a little emotional thinking about it. It, it. it just it pushes you harder to not fail. And so when someone doesn't see the capability that your that your company has, that your brand has for me personally, it just makes me want to fight harder and prove them wrong. And we always feel we I mean, look. I call myself the prince of the pivot internally because it's always really important when you've got a business and you're an entrepreneur to know when to pivot. And one of the things that we've done really well at Reveal is, you know, we're not chasing what we're not going to do things the way someone else does it. We'll do 75% that way, but 25% is going to be different. And e-discovery in particular, I think is ripe for the taking right now from an augmented intelligence perspective. 
we have some of the most fascinating minds in data science in, in our organization, the largest data science team, I believe, in the industry. And, and I mean, I'm humbled when I walk into a room and they're coming up with new ideas. They're doing things that are going to literally change the practice of law. And that's why I'm so invested in, in not just legal tech, but e-discovery specifically. And you mentioned, uh, you know, large volumes of data and ever-increasing volumes of data, right, that need to be processed and understood. Aside from that, I mean, what else do you see at this point that is leading to this massive boom in e-discovery? I mean, if we if we had to have an e-discovery Mount Rushmore, it'd need to be pretty wide, right? And there's so many companies just really kicking butt in e-discovery right now, doing extremely well. Certainly, Reveal is one of them, and, and we're going to get into to Brainspace and XLP. But what is it right now uh, that makes the size of the problem eDiscovery is trying to address so large? Yeah, I think it's the, the big private equity term, term is like white space. There's a lot of white space from a growth perspective and TAM, right? You know, the, the adoption of technology amongst law firms and corporate legal departments and and professionals in general, in this industry specifically, makes it unique. And it's really one of like the last frontiers, if you think about it, where you can grow very quickly in this cloud environment. If you look back five years ago, I had trouble selling selling data into the cloud. I had trouble you know, convincing people to use some of the features that were in Reveal that would help things go faster because they didn't trust technology. I mean, that's 2015, Anand. Think about think about that. We're, we're now 2021. That's this is an opportunity for the private equity firms and the financial community to invest in this space. And frankly, a lot of companies have done a great. A lot of companies before Reveal have done a great job of sort of being trailblazers. And I think back to your question, what keeps me personally invested in this? Because I I don't want to splinter off. I truly, as as a I guess somewhat of an innovator in the space or. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't call myself that, but others do. I, you know, I, I think that focusing on solving these problems of our customers and e-discovery and helping them make decisions and having the opportunity to actually literally change the way that the practice of law is pre- is presented is crazy to me, and it's really exciting. It's like I'm sure it's how the guy that invented the post-it note fails, right? Like I can, we can, we can change the way things are done. And the way that that law firms themselves commercialize their business model. That's nuts. You know, the fascinating thing about your career, Wendell, is that you could kind of track the the rise and modernization of e-discovery and data processing in law through your career. Right. Yeah. Like just yeah. in the, you know, in the last like and and Wendell, I'm I'm uh, looking at you here on Zoom. You're not an old man, right? I mean, you're 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 young. You're a young guy. You're a young entrepreneur for being you know so senior in this industry. And you started out, you know, literally delivering sheets of paper, right? Literally sheets of paper, and and scanning was kind of a, a bigger deal. And then OCRing, and then at some point, I think I, I spoke to you about this you know, in a, in a call that we had maybe last week, but, you know, before I went to law school, I was a paralegal. And I remember distinctly as if this was yesterday or, or you know, whatever, um, when someone asked me how many documents were produced, my answer would be eight boxes or 32 boxes. Yeah. And that, that doesn't feel so long ago. It was maybe close to 20 years ago. 
we've gone from that to digitized data, you know, hard drives or flash drives, to data on the cloud uh, being a, a hot new thing, or you mentioned 2015 might have been somewhat of a turning point. I think a lot of firms still have, quote, no cloud policies, whatever that, I mean, they're, they're falling like dominoes at this point. And you're now getting to a point, I want to kind of transition now to, you know, the last two acquisitions that Reveal has made. You're now getting to a point from literally pieces of tree, right, pieces of paper with stuff printed on it, to scans, to cloud, to vast amounts of data existing in the cloud, accessible to, at any point to now what could be the true next generation of all of this, which is, and this is how to lead up, right, from, you know, technology-assisted review, TAR, and all this stuff all the way to now, mm -hmm. to technologies like yours leveraging brilliant data science teams to actually tell you what's in the documents. Could you have imagined that when you were wheeling around the silver car, Wendell? No, I mean, even more so, to tell me what people are thinking that created those documents. Right. And how they're feeling emotionally. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff, right? Well, we'll get into that. And I know, I know, uh, you know, you, you yourself are not a data scientist. You you have a lot of data scientists working at, at the company. But you know, talk about that. Talk about the limits and the power of uh, of the two technologies that you brought on. I mean, maybe limit it to an XLP. We'll talk about Brainspace. But you just mentioned, you know, this. I still find this stuff mind blowing. The fact that you could kind of semantically or emotionally, I think, as you said, relate to the author of the document. What do you mean by that? First of all, what, what does that mean? Well, that well, it's just it's just these model libraries that we have that are based off of sentiment analysis, where the data science team has put this together. I mean, you literally can you literally can extract emotions or how, how what the emotions of the person writing that email are. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they mad? This, that, or the other. This is this is crazy stuff, and then and then taking that and bringing it down a layer to determine what's actually in that in that document, and then how it applies to the specific litigation. I mean, you've got people that are that are starting out with hundreds of millions of documents that that with human capital would take years to get through, and these models that are being run out that are able to be replicated are what I think is going to be the future practice of law. Working with firms like like DLA Piper, who has a spin-off company called Ascension that's built around AI that we've partnered with. Our data science team and some of their experts are collaborating together to build out these models on cartels or sexual discrimination, fraud, et cetera. These are things where they're going to be able to go to their clients and say, hey, well, before we go into discovery, let's run these models on your data and let's find out if it's worth our while. That's pretty incredible. And that's back to your question. I think that's why the private equity world and the, the VC world are investing so heavily in this space. Having said that, there's also a lot of services that are wrapped around the technology that are incredibly valuable as well. Reveal specifically, you know, we really take a lot of pride in partnering with consulting firms and litigation service providers who are out there still pushing boxes or still processing data for customers, you know, handling productions. And building that around our around our software, but what the, what's fun for me coming from that world is trying to marry the software with the litigation service providers and create a solution that's working holistically together. And I look, I mean, that sounds a little bit cheesy, but because I I started in that space, I'm really passionate about that, 
That's probably why I'm lo- so loyal to eDiscovery specifically. There's plenty of people that would want to take Reveal and use it beyond. And look, that's great. But for right now, we need to focus on how we can solve these problems and answer the questions of the customers and the clients in this industry itself. I think that's a perfect segue to uh, one of the things I think a lot of my listeners are going to be interested in, which is, you know, get to the headline on it, right? <laughs> this is a, a remarkable uh, month, uh, you know, a remarkable last couple of weeks because of things like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this article from law.com dated January 26 with a, a big picture of the famous Wendell Gisa right, right there. <laughs> right. And it, and it, it says uh, roughly the following, and I want to get, read a couple quotes from this and I want to get your take. And I, w- I want you to uh, tell us how this played out because I think a lot of the inside baseball here, to the extent you can talk about the inside baseball is fascinating in this industry because these headlines are starting to become so eye popping, right? But yeah. the article uh, here is headlined, uh, quote, reveal acquires analytics provider brain space, doubling down on AI for e-discovery. Okay, that seems uh, reasonable. And then you read the next line, and that is the, the acquisition powered by a new 200 plus million dollar investment combines brain space with NexLP under one roof in a bid to springboard reveal to the top of the e-discovery market. And then the article starts with a quote from you. When when e-discovery company Reveal acquired NextLP last August, Reveal CEO Wendell Gisa told Legal Tech News that the goal was to, quote, have our artificial intelligence eliminate as much human touch points as possible and completely change the way that law has been practiced, end quote. And today, the company is doubling down on that tech-powered e-discovery strategy. Give us the inside baseball here. Uh, yeah, well, I, you can. I know. I know. I don't want to. I'll probably get myself in trouble, but that's that's what makes these more interesting, right? I'd want to know. So, so you know, going back to 2018, we had taken an investment from Gallant Capital. Gallant Capital was a fund out of out of Los Angeles. We were their first investment. Fantastic opportunity for reveal for myself, for my family, for them. And we, you know, we did really well. We acquired Mind's Eye. Uh, six months later, we acquired NextLP. Twelve months after that, and then I had a dream, right? Because I had, I had already partnered with Brainspace and the founder Dave Cops and Chris Rohde back in 2017. We had actually tried to do this then, and I had a dream that you know if we could create NextLP and Brainspace and really have those be the rockets behind the chamber of reveal, we would have something special, and we would literally be able to make you know automate the legal industry itself bring automation to, 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 to the practice of law. So we received a call from K1, about a bunch of calls. I, you know, I was I was busy. I was in, dealing with the integration of NextLP at the time. I, I probably was not the most responsive individual. But, but being a salesperson and coming from sales, I always try to return a call from a cold caller. If they don't leave me a message, I call, you know, I'll get back to them. If I pick up their phone, I always take their meeting. It's just something that's... that's in it. And this was someone from K1. And, and I, you know, I was very, you know, they asked me about Reveal. I told them about Reveal. They told me what they, were, that what they were doing. They would not disclose the company name. They wanted to put together our technology with Brainspace and merge the two organizations together to create something special. But I didn't know it was Brainspace. So when I got on the call with the rest of the folks at K1 Capital, you know, they went into their pitch. And at first I was a little bit, you know, I was just, it was more of a courtesy thing. But once I heard brain space, I was like, you know, 
ding. Like it was, it was like, I mean, I was, I was on board and I was, I was all in on it. Now I had a problem because I had Gallant, right? And we were doing really well with Gallant. I K1, and I was like, all right, how do I bring this two together without getting myself in trouble? Because, you know, I have two masters. At that moment, I have I have a future master and a former master, and I've got to figure out how to make these two work well together. So Brainspace was actually a carve-out from a much larger organization called AppGate, which made it really interesting, but also opportunistic for, for my leadership team because I knew that they would be protected because I knew there was a need to bring those leaders in to help manage the, the, the combined organization. Um, and that meant a lot to me. You know, as you get into, you know, entrepreneurial position, you start to build teams around you. And, you know, these trusted individuals that, that will go with you from company to company. And I kind of call it, I call it the hamster wheel, where you've got these people in a hamster wheel and they're all trying to push it as a group, right? And I have my trusted team. But the beauty of it is that that trusted team has come from these other acquisitions along the way. So it's constantly snowballing. When K1, you know, so we they came in fast. I mean, gosh, that was probably October, November of last year. For you know, we are my my next LP deal probably took five months to, to consummate. This deal took 90 days. I mean, it was boom, 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 boom. And it was a much more significant transaction. So you're saying from the time when you returned that cold call to the point when brain space was officially uh, under the reveal umbrella. That was 90 days. Yeah, and it probably would have been quicker, but 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 rightfully so. We had to go through a, an HSR period with the DOJ to make sure there's no antitrust issues because of the size size of AppGate. So you had to go through a 30-day waiting period. But had we not had to go through that waiting period, it would have been done faster. It was quick. Were you were you surprised by how certain and specific K1's pitch to you was? I mean, when they reached out to you, they clearly had something discreetly in mind. Yeah. Or like, if we assemble A and B and C, or I should say one plus one plus one equals eight or something, right? Like, were you surprised by how clear-minded they were, how specific they were? Am I even describing it right? I mean, was it it a process to develop? uh, The conviction you're saying, yeah. So what happens is... Yeah, when you go through these processes, for those that don't know, you, you, you come up with a, an investment thesis. And that investment thesis then invest, is then introduced to an investment committee. Right. And that's that's a committee member where they bring in advisors, people from inside, people from outside, and they make the decision on what happens. Yeah, I was surprised. But the fact that they had already invested in Onnit and Simple Legal and rolled those companies up together, they're an investor in Sparsh, which is an archiving company. Latera was an investor that was they formally invested in Zapruv. I mean, they played in the legal tech space. And one of the exciting things about their website was that I saw other companies within their organization acquiring AI technology stacks. And to me, that's exactly where I wanted Reveal to go. So when I saw those, I was like, all right, this is, this is, this is a good home for Reveal. This is a way for Reveal to, to move to the next level and, and really reach that Mount Rushmore status. Why is a reveal being one, brain space being one? Why does one plus one, eight or six or whatever here? Like, what was it about a uh, you know brain space coming under the reveal umbrella uh, that would ultimately make reveal? And I know you're very much in the integration process. This is hot off the presses, but I mean, what aspect of this 
uh, made this such a clear and attractive combination? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like it's more than just reveal. It's the next, it's primarily the next LP and brain space products coming together. Because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're taking that model library that everyone wants from NextLP, and you're taking the visual analytics of BrainSpace, you're marrying those together. By the way, we're going to continue to support BrainSpace as standalone. But when you mirror those together, our development team's strategy is to eliminate as many buttons as possible in the review application. And Dr. Mativa, who's our chief data scientist, every single week, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck she's talking about on our calls, she holds up her iPhone and she says, it's just like your iPhone. And, and the iPhone starts to do the thinking for you. And that's what they want to do with these two software applications. We just happen to have the chamber of reveal with the processing, the review, where the data's got to sit, right? Those boxes of copies, I mean, they have to be somewhere. So that's why I think it's a game changer. You're taking what I believe are the two leading AI technologies specific to e-discovery that are both very well accepted, right? And you're marrying them together. It's not just the technology, but it's the product roadmaps. It's the individuals, it's the teams, it's the strategists, the UX people. I mean, it's everything, right? And you bring that together and it's like, whoa, this is pretty incredible. We have something real here. We have an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so you've got this line in here in this, in this article that I, that I referred to that talks about eliminating as many, quote, human touch points as possible. Yeah. And that, I, I take it, is what you, what you met with, with the iPhone. Why is that so important? Uh, maybe an obvious question, but why is eliminating human touch points such a high priority? Uh, and why, I mean, why is that such a high priority, not just for, for you and your company, but for your clients as well? Look, I mean, you know, I got some criticism for that quote because people that, are, that buy Reveal are, are attorneys, right? But, but, but I, think that, I think that every industry in the world is going through an automation transition. Some have already accomplished it, some haven't. This industry right now is going through that. And I feel like it's the responsibility of the users of this technology to not just understand what buttons to push, but to really understand really go back to the course, the, cent, the, the, the core of practicing law itself, it has to happen or not. I mean, if it doesn't, they won't be able to get through the data. And I believe that making it easier for people, right? There's this paradigm shift. It's a next, it's not a, we're not only next generation technology ourselves, there's a next generation of people practicing law. And those are people that grew up using technology that find it a requirement to further their careers. I love that. I feel like a lot of it's timing. I mean, it could be, you know, me, it could be someone else that was sitting in this spot right now that got that investment. I'm here because it was right place, right time. Sure, there was some hard work along the way and a commitment to this industry. But in the end, you know, it, it could be anyone. It's timing. The people want this now. The users want this now. Yeah, and, and you know, to that exact point, here's another quote from you from this article. And, and it's the following quote. We've been pushing the AI ML story for a long time and really innovating how people can change the way they're, they're practicing law and how they get to the most important information as quickly as they can. This is a, a quote rather from uh, BrainSpaces uh, CEO. Quote, and I told Wendell my analogy. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning when we got news of the acquisition. 
and have this vision of this jet plane just taking off and the turbine engine being next LP and brain space, right? Um, what, what aspects of AIML technologically now make it so right to solve so many attorneys' problems, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of things technologically that your data scientists and other engineers and, and other technologists, you know, who work for you can do today, but they couldn't do in 2015, even if they had permission to do it, right? Like, what is the, what, what, you know, where, another way to ask this question is, where's this jet plane going technologically? You know, where's we call it the reveal rocket ship in in house, right? That's powered by AI. You'd have to ask Dr. Mativa or Dr. Lewis where they're going to take it in the long run. You know, it's funny because they always come to me for for and ask me what do I think, and I'm always like, look, you guys, you guys are you guys are the the the, the brainchild of this organization. Uh, where's it going? I truly believe that 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 the reveal and brain space um, next LP. We'll get to a point where where we will be the first e-discovery platform that has it as a completely integrated frictionless AI experience, where there will hopefully, and, and the development team is gonna get upset with me for saying this, almost no buttons to push, right? And what I mean by that is just moving things around. I mean, that's what people are used to. Rather than clicking on things, let's start moving things and having them integrate with them and then having the stories come out from that. Yeah, it seems to me, you know, to this whole like elimination of like human touch points piece, you know, it seems it seems to me that there is so much work to do. And look, I was a practicing lawyer. I practiced for, you know, six, six and a half years. There is so much work to do just thinking through case strategy, thinking through how you could, how you could be most persuasive, thinking through how to posture certain evidence in a way uh, most persuasive for your client's position. There's so much to do when you have all your evidence neatly assembled and organized in front of you that I'd imagine that from the client's perspective, they say, yeah, you know what? Keep the human touch points for the higher level thinking and the strategy, right? You didn't yeah. go to law school to sit at your computer slumped over clicking on your mouse, next, 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 tagging something. And, you know, the, the, the analogy 20 years ago is you didn't go to law school to sit in some iron mountain warehouse for two weeks <laughs> climbing ladders with boxes and posting right yeah. you, know, you went to law school to be able to try to persuade a judge or a jury or maybe come up with a creative way to design a, an agreement right yeah how, how resonant is that to your clients to law firms certainly forward-looking firms like dla piper i think i think they're already there right i mean that, that's internalized yeah no I, I i love what you said by the way i i think that's it right like everyone's got to pay their dues a certain way but but this really does allow people the opportunity to use what they've learned in a much more strategic fashion and i think that that's that's why having access to technology like this will actually allow them to not just get to answers faster, but help create the answers that they need in order to protect their customers or their clients, right? So I think that that's, I think you hit it on the head better than I did. You articulated it better than I did, quite frankly. I mean, that's exactly what the benefit will be to the practicing attorneys. I also think that you'll see in time at the law schools, You'll see cl classes on data science, right? I mean, I genuinely believe that. You'll see a chief data science officer at law firms around the world. 
These are things that you never would have thought of 20 years ago. Never. And now I think that they'll be just as common as, you know, a CRO or, or, or a C or COO. Do you, so I have to ask this question because it comes up so often and, and, you know, it's been kind of the, like the sort of Damocles hanging over the legal profession. But do you think a lot of the, the work that you just described is going to be taken up by the big four? Uh, we, you know, I feel like it's, it's, it's like the death of the billable hour and that we've been talking about it yeah. for a long time and everyone keeps writing articles on it, but like, doesn't seem like it's really happening at least in the United States, I mean, you know, in the U.S. Do you view the big four as kind of the obvious folks who are going to take on that work? And maybe until what you suggested with, with you know, chief data scientists and law firms, et cetera, do you think Ernst & Young and Deloitte is going to kind of occupy that function while law firms are, are slowly adapting? I got to tell you something. I, I, that's the point, right? I, I, think that, I think that it's almost like, Two warriors going to battle, right? You've got these people crossing over to their territory and these people crossing over. But I think that that the big four and the law firms are both going in, crossing over in each other's territories and doing what they're doing. And that's what's so interesting. And it might also have be having a trickle-down effect on the investment that's coming into this space because you see it all the time. I mean, some of the biggest LSPs in the world are some of the biggest law firms in the world. There's having these spin-off companies all over the place and the same for the big four. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a that's a good segue to something that I wanted to get into too, and that is there are such you know massive mega investments going on in legal tech right now. I mean, when I first got into legal tech, 2015 at Case Text, you know, five million dollar rounds would get written up. You know, yeah. six seven million dollars. Those are ten million dollar rounds were big rounds. And now we're getting to this world where in the same two-week period, maybe three, we had Disco, a massive round. We had uh, your organization, Brainstick, massive round. We had Ironclad. We had, I mean, it's just starting to, I think, ever long. I'm sure I'm missing some. I'm sure I'll get, get the emails because I'm missing some. Um, but, you know, we're seeing these rounds that are, you know, eight-figure, nine-figure rounds. You alluded to what that might be. But let me ask you that directly. What is it right now in legal? What, what's in the water, man? Like, what is it in legal that is leading to these, these blockbuster rounds? Look, number one, it's successful businesses. And, and, and you got to be a successful business first, right? But it's the, it's, I'm telling you, it's the adoption of technology. It's this white space within this industry where, where, where they're finally using the technology. I live in Chicago, and, and in Chicago, I remember when you were a trader on the floor, if you were six foot five, that was important, right? But then they moved you upstairs. My brother, who happens to be six foot five, you know, he got out of trading because it, it was no longer that, but it's been, it's been automated, right? You wanted, you wanted a, 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 you know, someone with a master's in, in science from MIT rather than someone that graduated from Notre Dame just to shout loud, right? I think that the adoption of technology, the white space opportunity, and the ability to bring automation to the legal industry is why the money's coming in. And I got to tell you something, I think it's just the beginning. I think you're going to have multi-billion dollar valuations over the next 24 to 36 months for companies that started on someone's couch, just the way Reveal started with me. Amazing. Well-articulated. Super exciting. If anyone listens to this podcast and is not excited about the direction that this space is going, 
they're not paying attention or they're crazy. I mean, this is this is so fascinating. And I think you've you've articulated where this is going and why this is so exciting very well. So Wendell, thank you again so much for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It is great listening to folks uh, like you who started out delivering copies and who are now uh, in the headlines on a $200 million acquisition. So it's just a pleasure to have you on. No, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all your listeners too. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at anon at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team as well as our audio engineer, Brian Becker. See you soon.